It is awesome to worship God together, and uh, I trust that you have been blessed already today as you have been bringing a blessing to the Lord. And, uh, you know, some words that were sticking out to me as we were just singing, that, um, that we are to stand, you know, that we are to, to take a stand for the truth and what we believe in, to take a stand for our faith, and to take a stand um, before God and before others, and, um, you know, that we remember that we represent the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the King over all the universe, and it is good and right to praise him and to let others know about the hope that we have. You know, we are called in, in uh, First Peter to always be ready, right? Always be prepared to give an account of the hope that is within us. And uh, I hope that the, the words that we were just singing um, hopefully, um, you know, just inspired you the way they did for me and especially in that first song too that, that, um, that we will choose to praise, right? We'll choose to praise because it's a choice that we make and we have chosen to do that already and uh, now what we will do is together choose to turn to God's word as we continue to worship. So we want to continue in that spirit and attitude of worship. So uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, and we'll uh, read that in just, uh, in just a moment. But Genesis chapter 4 is where we find ourselves because we are going through a sermon series, uh, and it is simply called Genesis Foundations. And, um, you know, the tagline is the future begins here. And why is that? Because if we want to know the end of the story, you know, if we want to see, God, what, what is it that you're doing in our world today, and how is this all going to end, and is this the beginning of the end, Lord? With all the turmoil we see in our country and throughout the world, is this it? Well, in order for us to know how it's all going to end, and to read books like Revelation properly, then we need to go back to the beginning of the story. Does that make sense? And so that's what we're doing in our study of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is we are setting the foundations for the rest of the the biblical narrative, the rest of the Bible story. And so that's why it's simply called Genesis Foundations. Because everything that we see in our life today has its origins in the book of Genesis. It's an amazing book. And the rest of Scripture will not make nearly as much sense as it should, dare I say, make any sense truly whatsoever if we do not understand what God reveals to us in the book of Genesis. And it is a book that Jesus quotes, and Paul quotes, and Peter quotes, and, and so it is um, a book that is important for us to understand. And so today... In our study, uh, in our journey through Genesis, we find ourselves in chapter 4. And so in a moment, um, we're going to read it and look at what it has to say because this is the famous story of Cain and Abel. Have you heard that story before? And that's where we are in Genesis chapter 4. And there's a lot that we can look at today, uh, but of course, as usual, there's a few things that we want to highlight. But it's... It's an immensely important story for uh, it has an impact on us directly 
today, as all of Scripture should. But before we get into Genesis chapter 4, um, let, let me start by um, just mentioning what's going to happen next week. And so I mentioned um, earlier when I came out to, to do our church life that uh, perhaps some of us you know, are, are here this morning having been um, uh, distracted, maybe distracted during the week or even this morning, distracted from what we're being called to do, right? And um, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? Especially these days, there's so many things that can distract us from what's true and what's right and what God reveals in, in his word, And I truly believe now more than ever, we as Christians must understand that our view of the world must be a biblical worldview. Because as believers, we have been given the truth of God. God has revealed himself to us in what we call the Bible, all of the 66 inspired, inerrant uh, books of Scripture, and we have been given uh, the, the word of God for life. It is our source of how to live this life, how to understand who we are and who God is. So therefore, the scriptures, the holy scriptures are to be our lens, our filter in how we process all that happens in our life on a daily basis in small things and in, in on a, a, a worldwide scale on the big things that, af- that affect everybody that is living today. And so it is important that we see others and the world around us through the lens of Scripture. And so I have been distracted by the events going on in our country. I have been more distracted than ever by this election that's coming up in a little over a week. Have you been distracted by that? Have you been um, just watching the news 24-7, wherever you get your news from? Have you been reading and being obsessed by it? It's almost, in a way, it's hard not to be, right? And, and every four years, we say, this is the election to end all elections. And it's been said every four years, uh, probably since the founding of our country. But it seems different this year. And so next Sunday, we're going to take a break from Genesis, and I'm going to talk with you about the biblical worldview in light of the election that will take place two days later. Now, what's also unique about this election coming up is I think by next Sunday, November 1st, even though the election is two days after that on the 3rd, I think the majority of us would have already voted because of how things are happening and playing out. But nonetheless, regardless of whether or not you have cast your vote, I have something to say from the scriptures about the election and about voting and about the state of affairs in our country. Now, just as a side, I'm not going to ever tell you who to vote for. And I won't even need to mention the names of candidates, any candidate. Because I do not believe that's my responsibility or my calling. Yes, there are some preachers... And there are some pastors that believe they need to do that and bring candidates into their pulpit and tell you who to vote for and why. But no, I do not believe that at all. What my calling is to do as a shepherd and teacher here at Trinity is to bring the word of God to you in any and all circumstances in life. 
And, and the Holy Bible does say a lot about issues that are at hand. And not just in this election, but every election. And it tells us how to have a proper relationship with government and authorities. Read Romans 13. Read First Peter. And we will look at them. But I think it is vitally important that we are reminded about what our perspective should be. It should be a biblical perspective. And so if the Bible talks about it, then we should be talking about it. If God thinks it's important, then we should think it's important. Can we say amen to that? And so we have, and the last thing I'll say about this, because there's more coming next week, so please come on out, make sure that you're here, invite some friends and family that want to come and hear about it, because I think it's, it's going to be a, an extremely important message about how to process all that's going on. But now, again, now more than ever, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we need to to remember where our truth comes from. You know, there's so much talk today about where do you get your news from? Where do you get your information from? And people debate, debate the facts. Well, as believers, first and foremost... The question is, where do we get our source of truth? And it is the Holy Bible. If we believe that it is the perfect inerrant word of God, which we do here at Trinity, then God has something to say to us, and we need to open that word and read it and digest it, let it transform us, and let it then be the lens through which we see everything. Every issue that might be on the voting ticket, every issue that candidates from any party talk about, that we need to open the word of God and let that be our filter through which everything, everything gets processed. And so that's what we're going to talk about next week. Whether you have already voted or not, it's going to be a, a really important message because we need to have a solid foundation based on an absolute truth. An absolute means that it does not change. When everything around us is constantly changing and moving, you can't even keep track of it. It is a great reminder that we praise God for his word that does not change and for having a God who is immutable as one of his characteristics, which means he is unchangeable. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God that we serve today is the same God we will serve on November 4th, okay? So we need to keep in perspective how much stock and influence we are allowing fallible leaders to have on our lives because we are first and foremost citizens of a different kingdom, are we not? We are citizens of heaven kind of passing through. Now, it doesn't mean that we forget about all that's going on around us and the role, the important role that we play as being representatives of Christ and his truth, but let's first and foremost remember that, okay? So that's what's on tap for next week. Please come back if you want to hear more. And if you don't want to hear more, just come back anyway because there'll be food after the service, so that's Okay. Genesis chapter 4.
the story of Cain and Abel. You know, um, there's a story in the news I've been reading, and it has nothing to do with politics, although somebody somewhere has probably made it a political issue. It's about these um, killer bees out in the Pacific Northwest. Have you heard about that? They're called uh, murder hornets. Kind of an appropriate um, topic for our uh, message today about Cain and Abel. <laughs> and um, I'm sure somewhere has said, you know, uh, yeah, um, yeah, they were planted by terrorists, these murder hornets. Yeah, I don't know. But here's the thing. I'm reading this story, and it's, it's so interesting that here are these bees and it's not because they're killers of people, but supposedly they're, they're very dangerous for, for humans. But they, they are an invasive species coming from, not originally from this country, from, from elsewhere around the world. And they have come and they do uh, irreparable harm to other bees. Like honeybees, where we need honey and, and where we get honey and bees that pollinate, right? And if, if left unchecked, these murder hornets can bring vast destruction to, to, to many parts of our, our farming industry, right? You go into the store and we just take for granted, well, there's all kinds of fruit and vegetables here, but, you know, something like these murder hornets, if left unchecked, can do great damage, right? And so we have that idea. And so there was this, um, I think they're out in the Pacific Northwest, out in Washington, and I was just reading yesterday that um, they had this team uh, to come in, and uh, they had this big vacuum, and the guy was dressed in a hazmat suit, and he went up to this tree, and he vacuumed them all out, and they saved them so they could study them, and they had to chop down the tree to, to destroy, like to cut it at its root. Because it's an invasive species. Maybe you've, you've heard the last few years that in Florida, they have been paying people to go to, to wipe out the, the, an, another invasive species in the Florida Everglades, the pythons. Because they are not supposed to be there and they are doing irreparable harm and damage to the habitat. See? But it's so interesting that, that we see in these stories... How something that was not meant to be can come in and, and, and do harm and disrupt what was naturally created to be. You know, we see in Genesis chapter 4 the effect of an invasive species, of, uh, of a, a virus, of a germ, of a bacteria, and we call it sin. It is something that was not supposed to be, was not present in God's original design in that beautiful Garden of Eden, yet it was allowed to come in and fester and infect. It became insidious. In chapter 4 of Genesis, it's a sad chapter. Now it ends with hope, so we will end with a word of hope today, as we always try to. But chapter 4 is really a sad chapter of Scripture. Why? Because in chapter 3, we see the entrance of sin, this invasive thing into God's original design, and we see the effects it had on Adam and Eve, right? And, and that they were banished from the garden. And they, they had to hide themselves. There was broken fellowship with God. 
Well, why chapter 4 is even worse is because now we see that sin is spreading. You want to talk about a super spreader event? Look at chapter 3 of Genesis. And today, we are seeing the effects of it. We see it in the story of Cain and his brother Abel. So let me read it for us. This is Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole thing. As I like to, to remind you, maybe you write in your Bibles or you take notes. As I read it, and perhaps it's a chapter of the Bible you've read before, would you underline or, or maybe highlight or even just take a mental note of words or phrases that maybe you hadn't thought of before, that just kind of passed you by, that you skimmed over? And see perhaps how the Lord might might grow and transform you today through the, the living word. Because we say here at Trinity, we like to learn and grow and serve. And so we're going to be learning and then hopefully allowing the spirit to grow us. So take note of some words or phrases that perhaps you hadn't noticed before in this familiar story. Now, it says, Adam and Eve, it says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And so the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. 
Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujalel, and Mahujalel fathered Methusael, and Methusael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his two wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. In that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You know, throughout Scripture, God often compares two people, two men, two women. So in this chapter, he's comparing Cain and Abel, right? We, we see Isaac and Ishmael. We see Jacob and Esau, Right? And we see Jesus tells parables about that. And we even see in this story, not only Cain and Abel, but we see a contrast, a distinction between Enoch and Enosh. Maybe those are some names that you, you highlighted. I doubt that any of you kind of underlined Tubal-Cain. Perhaps you did. Maybe as a name for a, you know, a child. Tubal-Cain, we'll name him Tubal-Cain. But some strange names, right? And there's actually also names that appear more than once. You're, you're going to see um, another Enoch later on. And you're going to see another Lamech later on. But we kind of want to keep them in context here in, in Genesis chapter 4. So that you're probably wondering as we go through this, well, what on earth could we possibly focus on? Because there's so much going on here. Well, I want to give us sort of the, the bird's eye view, the bigger picture and then bring our focus and attention to just really one main thing today. See, in Genesis chapter 4, we see the first act of worship recorded for us. But we also see the very first act of hatred and murder. It's not interesting that in this chapter, the, 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 the things that we see are the first act of worship and the first murder. How on earth do those go together? Well, you know where they both start? In the heart. So today's message is really about the heart. It's sin spreading, but where does it spread from? It starts from the heart, and then it comes out through the hands. So it's about the, the heart and the hands. So we see that, that Cain and Abel are both workers. They have jobs to do, right? So it says, Cain was a tiller of the ground, and so he grew things, and vegetables, and plants, and 
things to eat. And, but Abel was a keeper of livestock, like a shepherd. And they both had their place. And, and the Bible doesn't say, remember Moses wrote this for the people of Israel. He's not saying that one was better than the other. They were just different, doing their own thing. And it says that in time, they brought an offering to the Lord. Now, we don't know if this was the very first act of worship. It doesn't say it was the first time. It just says, in the course of time. Maybe there, was, there would have been more instruction from God. There had to have been. For them to know what kind of offering to bring. But nonetheless, they are bringing an offering to God. Well, we just did that this morning, didn't we? We came here together and we brought our offering to the Lord in an act of worship, right? And yes, we give of our finances, but when we came in today, we offered up worship to God by singing, by praising, by opening his word. And so we're bringing worship to God, and that's what Cain and Abel were doing. They were worshipers. See, first they are recognized as children of Adam and Eve. Both having potential, but then we see their act of worship, and that's where the differences start. And oftentimes you'll, you'll hear uh, people talk about Genesis 4 and just say, it was a matter of faith, and that is true. But that's not really what I want to focus on today, although that is so important. See the difference in their act of worship? Scripture says it was because it was an act of faith. One being able, brought his offering with a heart of faith and trusting. Cain did it just out of a sense of duty. Also notice, it wasn't only the quality of their worship. It was the content of their offering of worship. For it says, it says that Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. But when it describes Abel's offering, it was the firstborn, the first fruits. Do you see the difference? Cain brought some of the fruit of his labor from the ground, where Abel brought the best. And church, we could just stop there and say amen and sing a closing song. Because is that not a strong enough message we learned from Genesis 4? That listen, church, it matters where your heart is when you bring your offering and worship to God. You know, let's be honest. We could stand here and worship and raise our hands and sing real loud and be really far from God in our hearts. We can make it look good, can't we? We, we know, we've seen enough worship videos. We see what they do in the Hillsong videos. Yeah, I raise my hand like this and I close my eyes and I go like this. This means I'm worshiping. Well, hopefully it does. But why does this really not matter? It really doesn't matter if, it's, if what's in here is elsewhere. Because Jesus says that. Paul tells us that as well. It's where it starts in your heart. And see, so the difference between the offering of Cain and Abel, yes, it wasn't what they brought because Cain didn't bring the first fruits, but it wasn't just the work of his hands It was where it started in his heart, see? You can go like this with your hands and offer to God, and you can go like this with your hands and offer to God, but if it doesn't start with the heart properly, if your position of your heart is not right, then this or this is not acceptable from God. So God accepts 
the offering of worship from Abel. Not only because it was of the first fruits, because he was obedient. God must have given them instructions. So they knew what kind of offering to bring. So Abel did it right. But we see elsewhere that it was because it was an act of faith. So look at Hebrews 11, verse 4. Hebrews 11, 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, even though he died, he still speaks. Remember what Hebrews 11 is? The hall of faith, right? As the writer of Hebrews talks about all those who uh, to them was accounted righteousness because of their faith, like Abraham, right? It wasn't just because they were obedient and, and did it out of duty. Okay, I put my I put my dollar fifty in the plate. You know, I came and I raised my hands and I sang. No, it's not that at all. Those things are important, but that is a product of what starts in our heart. God is not deceived by that. God knows our heart. We may fool others, but we cannot fool God. And see, so what it shows us is right away we see the influence of the infection of sin. Because if Genesis 3 shows us the origin and the foundation of sin, then Genesis 4 is the unfortunate story of the beginning of the spread of the consequences of sin. See, Cain is the firstborn. Cain is the first person ever born. Was he not? Adam and Eve, not born, created by God. And Adam, uh, Eve gives birth to Cain. Now, it's interesting, church, watch this. She names him Cain. That word Cain really means, in the Hebrew, gotten. Like, I have begotten. That's why she says, I have begotten man, meaning a a human being, a male, from the Lord. I have begotten him. And she was excited. There was so much promise and hope. Why? Do you remember what happened in chapter 3 after they had sinned? Do you remember, church, that God made a promise? Right? The, The seed of Adam and Eve, the seed of humans, would rise up against the seed of the serpent. Remember that? And said, he will, meaning the serpent, will bruise your heel, but he, meaning the seed of humans, will crush the serpent's head. And so I think that we can conclude here that Adam and Eve had great promise and hope. They probably thought Cain was that seed. Cain was the promised redeemer. Why wouldn't they think that? There was great hope. And see, they named him Cain, meaning, yes, I have gotten the man. I have gotten the seed from God. He has sent that redeemer. But then things go south. She also has Abel. And we see here in their offering of worship the infection of sin. Because how does Cain offer it? Just out of duty. But then that's not where the story stops. See, because it says then that, um, that, that God did not have regard for Cain's offering because he saw his heart. And Cain got angry. So it's not only that, but it was his reaction. See? So God did not accept his offering, but how did Cain, this is so important, how did Cain react? Did he react with humility? God, I'm sorry. 
You're right, God, I should have brought the best of my crop, the first of the crop. I shouldn't be jealous. I shouldn't let pride get in the way. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm humbled. Give me another chance. No, what does he do? He gets angry at God. Do you ever get angry at God? Because you see other people around you prospering and seeming to be favored of God, and you're not. God, what's up with that? And so you get angry at God. And so what does God say? God says to Cain, so why are you so angry? Why is your face fallen? Because he says, if you do it right, then I'll accept you. But if you don't do it right, sin is crouching at the door. Not only does God just say, I won't accept it, but he tells him why. Sin is crouching at the door. It's like, it's that, that language of like an animal crouching, like ready to pounce. And he says, that's what sin is like. It's always waiting. And it's contrary to you. But what does he say? You must rule over it. He's like, you got to say no to sin. That's what God is saying. Saying, you have the ability, say no. Your brother did it right. And growing up, did you just hate that? When your parents said that, why can't you just be more like your brother? Why can't you be more like your sister, right? Is that the worst? You say, God, why is that? And you raise up in anger. But he took it to the extreme. And he went out in the field. First it says he talked to him. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, but it says, so Cain talked to Abel. And then when it was time, they were out in the field, he rose up against him and he killed him. doesn't say how he killed him, but he killed him. But first he says he talked to him. I wonder what he said to him. Cain talked to Abel. But was he trying to find a way out of what this anger was bringing? Was he setting him up? Maybe he was saying, hey, I'll go meet you in the field. You know, meet you out back behind the shed. You know? I don't know what he said to him. But he talked to him and then he killed him. Why is that so disparaging and so disheartening? Because we see the effect of the infection of sin now spreading. Did not God say there will now be death? Do you remember the lie of Satan? Church, we're connecting Genesis 4 from last week, Genesis 3. Do you remember what Satan said in the form of the serpent? He made Eve question and he was just like, did God really say that if you disobey, that you'll die. He's like, you didn't, he didn't say you would die. And so Eve starts questioning, and Adam starts questioning. But then when he confronts Adam and Eve, and he says, this is what's going to happen. There's now going to be death. Well, here it is, God keeping his promise. Here is the consequence of sin. Does not Paul say in Romans, what is the wages of sin? It's death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, right? That's our great hope. We know that part of the story. But see, Cain gives in to his anger because that anger came from his heart. It was pride and he let it overtake him. God says, You got to rule over it. He let it rule over him, just like Adam and Eve let the serpent rule over them instead of them ruling over it. You see how it gets all twisted and backwards? What God says in his word, Satan, the enemy, will twist it. Try to make it backwards. That's why it's important we always go to the scripture and know what it says. What is God actually saying? See, we are all infected from Adam, but now consequences of that infectious sin and its influence. Remember this, church, we keep it in context. You still with me? You following me? 
right? Oh, a few minutes left. I want to wrap this up in a minute. And I know you're just saying, yeah, right, because you always say that. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to try. But there's a lot to be said here. So remember this, church. Who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses wrote it. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. He wrote it for the people of Israel. In the time in history, he wrote it for them because, remember, they were about to go into the promised land. They're about to take it over. And so Moses wanted to write all this down so he could show Israel, like, this is who you have to be. This is who you're supposed to be and how to believe and how to follow God, right? And so he starts with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created, and he tells the story from there. And now he's telling them about sin. It was all good, and now the story takes a quick turn, right? Now it's all about sin, and in chapter 4, it's about the consequences. And he's saying, remember, remember our ancestors, Cain and Abel, and what happened. And he says, don't let sin influence you. Don't let it be an influence in your life because then it's going to affect other people. Don't we know that as, as one of the true factors in, in discussing addiction with people? That people that get addicted, whether it's alcohol or drugs, whatever it might be, that we say, you know what? At the time, you don't, you're not thinking about your actions and your decisions are affecting way more people than just yourself. But when we give in to any kind of sin, whatever it may be, it is completely self-centered, is it not? It's completely about us. But what we forget is that it has a great influence, that ripple effect of so many people around us, friends and family. And we never know, it might even go on from generation to generation. And we see that happen here. So let's get to that part of the story as we close. I think that this is an often forgot and neglected part of Genesis chapter 4. It's right that we focus on Cain and Abel, their act of worship, and one had faith and one did not. But look at what happens in verses 16 to the end. Do a quick review and then show you why I think this is so important. It says, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. See, see God punished Cain. And he said, you're going to be a wanderer. Kind of like he, he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. And he says to Cain, you're going to wander the earth. That's your punishment. Because you have been disobedient. And, and not even that. You took the hatred in your heart and you let it go to its conclusion and you killed your brother. And so he banishes him. And he says, you're not going to have contact with your family. You, you're not, the, the ground that you work, remember he was a tiller of the ground, it's not even going to produce any fruit for you. And Cain was just like, I can't bear it, and people are going to kill me. He's like, no, I'll protect you. God is even merciful to the wicked. And he puts a mark on Cain. He says, anybody, so they all knew it, anybody that kills him, it's going to be 77-fold, sevenfold, right? And then Lamech, later we see he wants it to be 77-fold for himself because he kills, one of his ancestors kills somebody. See the spread of sin. So what happens is Cain is banished, He goes away from the presence of the Lord and his family. And he settles in the land of Nod, which is east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. So Cain got married. Cain knew his wife. They had a child named Enoch. He names a city after him. And then it goes on about Enoch and and his children and whatever, and they go down to Lamech. And it talks about Lamech a little bit. We don't know much about the others. But is that interesting? 
God said, you're going to be banished from my presence, from all your family. You're going to wander and not be fruitful. But what does Cain do? It's almost like he says, okay, God, I'll show you. And he goes and he starts a civilization. He finds a wife. And they have children. He names a city. He names a city after Enoch, which means there was other people. And there was a population. So, so Cain, there is a civilization that starts Cain and brings with him that seed of sin. And then we see later, it talks about, after a couple of generations, this guy Lamech, who is from Cain's ancestry. Lamech says in verse 23 uh, to his two wives, I killed somebody. He wounded me, I killed him. But here's what I want. If our ancestor Cain, if, if God put a mark on him and said if anybody killed Cain, that God would, would, uh, would, would show vengeance against that sevenfold, Lamech is just like, I want 77-fold. Well, look at the pride there. He's like, yeah, I killed somebody, but I want it all to be no. I, this is what I want from God. I want, if anybody comes to kill me, I want them to know it's going to be worse punishment than what would have been if somebody killed Cain. Boy, just the arrogance, right? But what does that show us? It shows us the influence of the spread of the infection of sin. So now we see Lamech just a few generations later. He kills somebody. There is still hatred. And there is still, listen, the disrespect of human life that God created in taking that life in murder. But let's end with the word of hope, shall we? Verses 25 and 26. Yes, there are broken relationships, broken fellowship, the consequence of sin. Cain was proud instead of humble. Sin is described as crouching and waiting by the door. But it says here in the last two verses, And Adam knew his wife again. Now hold on. We were just learning. Moses was just talking about the descendants of Cain. And he even defied God and went and started his own civilization, which could not end well. But verse 25 says, And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. Sometimes we forget about Seth. There was Cain and Abel. But Cain kills Abel, so now there's just Cain. So she gives birth to Seth and says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel because Cain killed him. Almost like a replacement son. (laughs) To Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. Cain had a son, called him Enoch. And they started a sinful society and civilization. So Eve gives birth to another son to replace Abel in a way. His name is Seth. Seth has a son and names him not Enoch, but Enosh. Close, but different. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. See, church, there is hope. Because in the line of Cain, that line of sin and murder... We see that just propagate, that infection of sin. But Abel had given the right kind of offering, right? And he was a man of faith. And so God gives out. She names him Seth and says, 
God gave another chance. We put all kinds of hope in Cain. We thought he was that redeemer, but maybe now it's Seth. No, but it will come from the line of Seth. Moses was telling the people of Israel, church, listen, saying, look at your ancestry through Seth and not Cain. Remember what Abel did. Remember God gave Adam and Eve Seth. And then he bore somebody named Enosh, his son. And it says, at that time, meaning when Seth was born, and then when he grew and he gave birth to Enosh, in that generation's that line, Moses makes a point to say, then people started to call on the name of the Lord. People started to praise God. And that's the whole point here, church. Moses was saying to the people of Israel, you're supposed to be a light to all of the nations around you. They're, supposed, they're about to go into the promised land. And he says, remember who you are. You're of the line of Seth and not of Cain. Remember, a redeemer will come through us, through the line of Seth. And we know that redeemer is Jesus Christ. For he is the only one that can put an end, listen, to the stop of the spread of the infectious disease we call sin. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And to that, we say, hallelujah. And we know that until he returns, there is still the presence of sin. But did you know, in salvation in Jesus Christ, and our justification before him, in believing in Jesus for salvation, that the penalty for sin has been taken for us? That the power of sin no longer has power over us? That we have the Holy Spirit and we can rule over it like God says? But there's still the presence of sin, isn't it? It's present in our society. We look around our country, we look around the world and say, it seems like the society that Cain built. There is sin. But see, as the the people of God, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, we say, yes, we live in this world, but we are not to be of this world because we are of a different world. We are citizens of a different country, of, of a different kingdom. And see, we are those who know the truth, and we now have the hope, and we say yes, just like the people of Israel were to be a light to the nations. We say, yes, we are the church, and Jesus says, I'm the head of this church, and you are going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and throughout all of the world, because you are now people of hope, because you have been redeemed. And yes, there might still be the presence of sin around you, and you will see its influence, but don't let it influence you. So church, the question is, are we going to let sin influence us, or are we going to rule over it and be a light to the nations, starting with our family, our friends, and our neighbors? Because there is only hope in him. If you are here and you have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation, then what are you waiting for? Now is the time. God calls all of us and says, Jesus, my son, I gave to all of you. We are called to simply believe. Believe that Jesus did what he said he was going to do, die on the cross and come back to life, resurrected from the grave. And that we put our trust in that for eternal salvation from the penalty and the power and eventually the presence of sin when he returns. Amen? 
Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. God, there is so much truth in Genesis chapter 4. So much we can talk about. But God, help us to remember that we are to come before you and offer up worship with a right heart. That we are to come before you knowing we cannot fool you, God. That, God, we are to be humble before you. Humble to say we're sorry when we sin and when we disappoint you, when we are disobedient. God, would you be merciful towards us, even in our sinfulness? Merciful towards us, Lord, that we desire to be humble as your children, as Christians, as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know we are forgiven, God, but we, we still give in from time to time. We give in to those sinful thoughts. We give in to those sins. Maybe just that one sin that seems to have a grip on us. Thank you for the reminder from today, Lord. You call us out from that and you say we should rule over it. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in our hearts to give us the power to say no to sin. God, we want to say no to sin for our benefit so that we glorify you and we don't suffer the consequences of sin. God, also so that we don't infect others. So that we do not spread that sin because we know of its great and disastrous influence. Father, we don't want to be propagators of sin, but we want to be propagators of promise and of hope and of healing, not of death, but of life, God. May we represent life, life and peace and freedom and hope, and not death and despair and destruction. That's who we are, God, and we know it. So thank you for the reminder of the vast and stark contrast between Cain and Abel, even between their ancestors, Enoch and Enosh. God, help us to offer up our offerings to you of worship with a right heart. May we not be murderous in our heart towards others, but forgive as you are towards us. And God, may we be, as your church, a city on a hill, Not a city like Cain created. A city where sin is at its foundation. But may we be the city on a hill where its foundation is you, the light of Jesus Christ. The light that we reflect. God, our world needs that now more than ever. We need you. We need you, Jesus, to help us. Help us, Father God, to say no to sin. And to say yes to righteousness. To be willing to be obedient to you. To rule over that sin that is always creeping at the door, ready to pounce and take advantage. Father God, may we say no, not today, to those sins. God, you are so good. We don't deserve it. But Lord, we know it needs to start in our hearts. If we're going to be an influence for goodness and righteousness, an influence for life and hope and justice and mercy and peace and truth, it needs to start right in here. So God, just as we sing this last song, as we just are before you, God, may we, may we sing the words and, and understand 
that you are there for us, that we don't have to do this on our own, that we can just lay all of our worries, all of our concerns, all of those sins we struggle with, we can lay them down at the foot of the cross, at your feet, at the altar of the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, Lord, have mercy. Forgive me and help me, and then, God, you will lift us up and help us to stand strong and set our feet upon a rock and make our footsteps firm. Father, thank you. We put our hope and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand now as we close in a song?